Hello and welcome to the Estate Planners Podcast. My name is Anthony Brinkman and this is the place for will writers, estate planners and solicitors that are interested in learning the tips, tools and technicalities to best help their clients. This is episode 5 entitled Making the Most of Attestations. It's interesting to me to listen to the language that is sometimes used when estate planners talk about attestations. It's not uncommon to hear things like, I've got six meetings in my diary this week, but two of them are just attestations. Or, I've got an attestation to do this morning, but then I'm going to see a new client. The excitement, the higher level of interest, lies with the fresh new client, and the attestation meeting is somewhat relegated to a necessary distraction to get out of the way. It's understandable, of course. You'll tend to have been paid already for the service by the time you get to the attestation meeting, so there's no immediate financial reward to be gained. But in truth, it's the attestation where the will is signed and witnessed that delivers the most amount of value for the client. It also carries with it some significant responsibilities on your part, and it involves some quite detailed technical understanding if there's anything out of the ordinary that occurs at that meeting. In this episode, I want to bring a few points to your attention that might help change your viewpoint about attestations. The legal significance of the meeting is clear, and in future episodes, we'll be looking more closely at points that can jeopardise the validity of the will. The focus of this episode, though, is the basic signing and witnessing procedure, the significance of the location of the meeting, and those aspects of the signing and witnessing that can add value to your service, and where you might be able to capitalise on certain aspects of the meeting that you might not be taking full advantage of now. Let's start by looking at the word itself, attestation. Attestation is a noun meaning the action of being a witness to, or formally certifying something. The root word there, of course, is the verb attest, to attest, which means to witness or to certify formally. It comes from the Latin testari, which means to witness, and is, of course, where we also get the word testament from, as in last will and testament. In England and Wales, two witnesses are needed to comply with Section 9 of the Wills Act 1837. This is not the case elsewhere in the world. In fact, only one witness is needed in Scotland. Historically, there were some states in America that required three witnesses to a will for it to be valid. And then we have lasting powers of attorney that require only one witness. And the rules are different again in Scotland for their equivalent to LPAs. But let's step away from the legal side of the attestation meeting for a moment and view this activity as the client sees it. Because for you, that conducts attestations on a regular basis, this is just part of the job. For the client, this is a significant moment. And it's worth reminding ourselves of that. They might only sign their will once in their lifetime. I'm sure you've had clients that have commented about being a little bit nervous or trying to make light of the moment by saying things like, I'm signing my life away. But let's take it a step further. The act of signing their will is a kind of confirmation or an acknowledgement that they are indeed mortal, that they will die at some point. 
And that is pretty heavy. That's quite a significant moment, isn't it? Where the meeting takes place is worth considering too. It might be that the client is coming to your office and perhaps there'll be a couple of staff there that act as witnesses. In that situation, the location will add to the it's just part of the job feeling about the attestation process. You should bear that point in mind when we look at the attestation procedure shortly. But if the meeting is going to take place at the client's home, then it will likely be a couple of friends or more often neighbours that will then act as the witnesses. This scenario is one that I want to take a little while to dwell on. Because consider this, how often do you have strangers come into your home? Probably not that often. Someone might come to take a meter reading or to fix the washer, but to come and sit at your dining room table or in your lounge, that's probably quite rare. Look around you next time this happens, when you go to a client's house to do an attestation or to do an instruction taking meeting. The clients will almost certainly have vacuumed the carpets and straightened the cushions and dusted and cleaned. Having people in the house is a bit of an occasion, added to the significance of the witnessing of the will itself, of course. I recall a few occasions over the course of my career when the testators have actually made the occasion into something of an event. And in one couple's case, they even called it a witnessing party. They had champagne and snacks and everything. I had to point out that they should probably leave opening the bottle until after the witnessing has actually been done. But they decided to make it a real event. At the other end of the scale, perhaps the most difficult attestation location is for the deathbed will, which may take place in a hospital or in a hospice. These are awkward, and if you've ever had to do one like this, then you'll know exactly what I mean. With a deathbed will, it could be carers or hospice staff that act as witnesses, or possibly other people that are visiting their family at that time. I recall one deathbed will attestation that I had to do in a hospital some years ago. The lady was in a room of her own in a ward, and her only daughter was there in attendance at that time. The lady was very weak, but she was conscious and she did have capacity. However, she got tired really quickly and we really needed to get the document read, signed and witnessed with some haste. The daughter couldn't be a witness, naturally, so I asked her if she could speak to a couple of nurses to be witnesses whilst I went through the will with her mother. She came back a few minutes later with a nurse and another hospital maintenance staff member. And as I was explaining the procedure to everyone, the matron of the ward burst into the room and loudly proclaimed, you can't do this here, you two, indicating the, the nurse and the maintenance guy, you two, you're not allowed to participate in things like this. And, and you, pointing at me quite rudely, you shouldn't be asking staff to do things like this. I was... I was shocked. I mean, the poor testator was a, a sweet lady who immediately started to apologise for causing a fuss and she started to get quite upset, which was the last thing she needed, obviously. I, I reassured her and calmly said, look, it's fine, there's no fuss, and that I'd handle it. Incredibly, the matron's interference didn't actually stop there. I managed to find a couple of other people that were there visiting family and they agreed to be witnesses. And when I brought them back to the testator's room, the matron again tried to stop the proceedings. 
I can't repeat here what I said to her, but let's just say that she got my unedited opinion about her conduct in front of a, a dying lady and her family. Anyway, let's return to the more common locations for the attestation, the office or the client's home. For reasons that we'll be addressing in future episodes, the procedure of this meeting is important to ensure that the will is legally valid. But here's the typical procedure which I would suggest to be followed. Number one, who's present? As you enter the client's home or they enter your office, the ideal situation is for you to be the only other person that is there with the client. Why is that? Well, you're going to be going through the will and the lasting powers of attorney and any other documents that need to be attested. If there's anything contentious, let's say, about the will, then you particularly need to be paying attention to that and you really need privacy for the client to be able to tell you something in confidence if they have something to say. They might not feel like they can do that if there are other people present. So point number one, who is present? You might need to take some action here, in other words, asking people to leave the room for you to have a little bit of time with the client alone. Number two, go through the documents. I take some time on this point. I make sure that they read the full will again. I say something like, now I know that you've read through the draft and you've approved that, but this is the document that you're actually going to be signing. So take the time now to go through this line by line. Let me know if you've got any questions or anything you're uncertain about. I'm sure you've been in situations where the client simply skips through the will at this point and they say something like, yes, I'm sure it's fine. Well, don't accept that. If this happens, what I tend to do is handle it by saying something like, yep, yeah, I'm sure it's fine too, but let's make sure. And then I actually read the will to them myself. I go through it line by line with them. I'll stop and I'll confirm after each clause that they're happy with that, that they understand it, they don't have any questions, etc. Do the same for each page of the lasting power of attorney and any other documents that you're going to be going through. This can take a while, but it's important. Don't forget, doing all of this also does add value to the client's view of your service. Point number three would be to call in the witnesses. If this is an office appointment, it's going to be pretty straightforward. If you're in the client's home, then they may need to go and get a couple of neighbours or call in their friends. Point four, explain what's about to happen. And importantly, and often missed, what has happened so far? Again, for the office appointment, this is more of a confirmation of what's been done rather than an explanation. But for the home visit, once the introductions have been made, you should explain to the witnesses what their role is and what's going to happen. Then state what has happened. And that might go something like this. So before you arrived, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith and I spent the last 35 minutes just going through their wills and their lasting powers of attorney, line by line, page by page, to ensure that they have full knowledge of the contents and that they approve of the contents. So Mr. and Mrs. Smith, can you just confirm to the witnesses that you understand and are happy with these documents? Can you see how that approach, this very deliberately a formal approach gives the moment some weight and it gives it some authority. You should communicate this 
part with a little bit of gravity, especially with the jokey client. You know, you're going to get some people who has, they've got a, a wise crack for every situation. You might need to just address that politely, but with some intention that for just the next few minutes, if we can treat this with a little bit of seriousness, you can always make light of it afterwards and introduce the humour back into the meeting once everything's been done. Point five, conduct the signing and witnessing. This is pretty straightforward, of course. Client signs, then the witnesses sign. Point six, acknowledge the witnesses. Now, ideally, you'd probably want the witnesses to leave once their job is done. This can be a little bit tricky if the clients have invited friends over to be witnesses and that they're staying on after you've left, but you can often just ask for a few minutes alone with the client. It's at this moment that a very likely opportunity can arise if it hasn't done already. The witnesses themselves, unless it's an office appointment, the witnesses themselves may well make a comment like, oh, we really need to get our wills done too. And of course, here you have a potential next client. This happens so often, it can become quite a major source of continued business. How you handle those types of originations from the witnesses and whether you actually prompt for it is very much down to you. But I'd encourage you to find your own way of, of doing that. For example, just asking the question, have you been through this procedure yourself, can often lead into that conversation. The other tip that I can give you here, once that request or that statement has been made by the witnesses that they could do with seeing you at some point, you should acknowledge it very thoroughly, let them know that you'll definitely help them, but that just for now, you're here for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. What that does, of course, is it grants the correct importance to your client, to the meeting and to the documents themselves, and it gives you the opportunity to follow up with the witnesses at a more appropriate time. That's mainly why I like it when the witnesses are neighbours. They're right next door or they're just over the road and you can immediately go and see them and, and book an appointment once you've actually finished with the testator. Point seven, finally, conclude with the client. Once the witnesses have gone or have left the room, you can then wrap up with the client. Tidy up any remaining paperwork, let the client know what happens next. This, of course, will depend on what services you're going ahead with. If they have LPAs, then you'll be explaining the registration procedure and the timescales or what needs to be done to get the attorney signatures. Perhaps there's some land registry work to be conducted. You'd need to explain that. Or if this is the conclusion of the service, then whatever your policy is for recontacting the client in the future. Do you actually have a, a review procedure? And if so, when is that going to be? Also, this is the occasion where you'd explain to your clients what type of changes might occur in their life that would necessitate updating their will or their powers of attorney. And then, of course, what is the client going to do with their documents ultimately? Where are they going to be stored? All this should be noted down for the record. And the last point here, reminding you of the title of this episode, Making the Most of Attestations, is the endpoint review by the client of your service. What I mean by that is for you to ask something along the lines of, how has this service been for you? You're there at that moment, live with the client. This is a perfect opportunity to ask the client to consider your service and the experience that they've had. Now, several things can happen here. 
possibly there is something about the service that they were not 100% happy about. And if that's the case, then you would want to know about that, of course, so that you can correct it. But if they have been happy, and they tell you so, this can prompt them to also refer you to others, to friends, family, and so on. Whether you ask for referrals is, of course, entirely down to you. Some people are comfortable with that, others not so much. But even if just by asking how the service was, the client is far more likely to think about referring you to friends and family than they would otherwise have been. And of course, there is a potential here to get reviews on social media or your website or get a testimonial from the client. So, in summary, recognise the potential value of the attestation meeting. It is important, I'm sure you know that, but it's also a really quite significant moment for the client and even the witnesses. It's an opportunity to possibly get more clients and certainly to, to reinforce the value of the service that you've provided. I do hope that you're finding these podcast episodes useful. I'm certainly enjoying putting them together for you. Until the next episode, I wish you all the very best and thank you very much for listening.